for meeting us in this place today. Thank you for the opportunity we have to uh, to just lift our voices, to to make proclamations about who you are and what you're doing. We just pray that today, that as we uh, spend a moment in your word together, as we uh, just are here with other believers and other people, that you would be in our midst, that you would help us to, that you would just help us to, to see what you would have us to see uh, as we talk about what it means to be free people and free people in faith. God, will you just walk with us today? Thank you for uh, the upcoming week, even if uh, some of us might have our kids this week with spring break. We just pray that that would be a good time, a good family time, a moment of bonding and reconnection. God, we just thank you so much for our church, for all the things that we're doing. Just pray that you would walk among us as you always do. And we ask this all through Jesus, and the church together says, Amen. A little thinner crowd today because it's daylight saving, so please remember uh, to put on your judgment faces for anybody that might walk in a little late. Uh, you're going to want to turn around, look at your watch, and be like, mm, mm. okay, that's the appropriate response. It's what Jesus would want you to do. Um, so make sure you do that. I don't know, it's spring break. I know we've got a lot of families that are leaving. Isn't it nice to find a seat today as opposed to usual week? So maybe that's a... Maybe that's a positive as well. Um, I know we're just starting with the Shift 22 and there's booklets out there, kind of the expansion project that we're going to be a part of. Uh, we're just started with our giving, and I just want to kind of keep you. It's nice sometimes to put this in front of people and let them know kind of where we are. I know some of you are, are still planning, hey, this is, we're going we're gonna to start giving to this. But in the last six weeks, we've had some people that have given to this already, and I just want to let you know. Uh, know what it is as well. Uh, I, I had a week off last week, and my uh, pastor friend Joe came and came and spoke to us and, and shared with us. I really enjoyed that. I hope you were blessed by it as well. I think he had some uh, really great words for us, uh, um, just in where we are in our lives, and maybe seeing a different perspective. Uh, if I seem a little tired today, it's it's because I went on a preteen retreat with some of your fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. And let me just tell you, uh, I don't always get a lot, of, a lot of time to get to know them, but I got to know some of them this week. And I just want to give you a word of encouragement, parents, that you are really missing the mark, okay? <laughs> like, we need to up our game, okay? And let me tell you something, they tell all your secrets. So I know some things, um, you know. Uh, I'll give you an example. You know, I see the Schubert's hiding back there in the in in the, in the darkness. I thought his name was Chad, and she said, "Oh, it is." Until my mom's mad, and then she's like, "William, <laughs> love it." Okay, and that's one of the light secrets. Uh, you know. Uh, anyway, I really can't say more than that because uh, I'll start getting people in trouble real quick. But no, we had a we had a great time. You guys have some 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 mostly awesome kids. Um, but, you know, it's wonderful for us to be spending time engaging with them, helping them grow, and uh, just seeing their love for Christ. Uh, so it was, it, was a lot of, it was a lot of fun, uh, although I will call you exactly the time your kids went to sleep on Friday night. So if you get a call at 3 a.m., it's me, okay? Uh, no, it'll be, it'll be good. Uh, today we're going to start a new little series. Uh, it's just simply called Hebrews. And what happened was... Um, my mom, my, my mom and dad, their church back in South Africa, their women's group is actually going through a series on the book of Hebrews. And so my mom, we do this WhatsApp messaging thing, and we kind of talk back and forth during the week. My mom asked me, said, hey, I'm, I'm doing this thing. What, what do you think about this? Or she was sharing some of her lesson, and then my sister had a turn to teach, and my other sister had a turn to teach. 
and another friend. So I was like, you know what? Why, why, don't, why don't we actually just talk about this? Why don't we actually share a little bit of a story about, uh, about this book? Because there's so many beautiful things that it has to share with us today. Oftentimes, this book actually doesn't have a title. It was often called the Book of the Exiles. And I'm going to explain to you what that actually means here in just a minute. If you open the New Testament, most books are named either for the person that wrote them, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we know this, or they're named for the places that they're written to, Corinth, Galatia, Thessalonica, whatever it might be. There's a couple of books that are named after events that are happening. The book of Acts, it actually is, the, the real name of it is the Acts of the Apostles. It's the beginning of the church. And then we have this weird book at the end of the New Testament, which is about God's revealing. And so we call it the book of Revelation. But the book of Hebrews actually doesn't have a name. Now, about 300 years after, uh, after Jesus in the Roman Empire under Constantine, he sets up this council called the Council of Nicaea, where they decide what books are going to be in the Bible. Now, there's a certain list that a criterion that things have to kind of flow through to say this is what makes the cut so that a book can be in the Bible. And one of those is how widely it's used in the church. And at the church at that time, the book of Hebrews, it came, became known as the book of Hebrews, was, was a book that was widely used in churches, and that's why it made the cut, even though we actually don't know who wrote the book. A lot of people think it's Paul. It's probably not because it's written very differently than the way that Paul writes, but it, it doesn't contradict anything else that's being said at this time. And so we have this kind of stepchild book that makes it into the New Testament. The word Hebrews, which I'm going to show you here in just a second, it wasn't a name that people gave to themselves. It was actually a derogatory name for a group of people. And, and we do that today, too. We have derogatory names for tribes or races or different, different groups. Uh, we shouldn't use them, but sometimes those are the words that are in our culture. And Hebrews is one of those words. So it's actually shocking that the name carries, that the book actually carries this name, because it's actually a slang term against a group of people. If, if we go back in history a little bit, the, the, the Jewish nation as we know it today, they weren't always called the Jews. In fact, they were called the Semites early on. Now, you say, well, why were they called that? Remember, Noah had three sons, right? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They're actually descendants of Shem. Now, in the Hebrew alphabet, the letter for S-H and the letter for S are the same letter. They're just accented differently. And so originally they're called the Shemites, and then eventually it's kind of contracted, and they become known as the Semites. That's just where the name came from. Some people go, I never knew that. Yeah, that's where, that was their line. They came from that, uh, that first son of, of Noah. Then you remember the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob has an encounter with God, and God says, your name's not going to be Jacob anymore. It's going to be Israel. And so this nation that comes through his 12 sons and Joseph and all this, this is the end of Genesis, they're called the Israelites. But then they become slaves in Egypt, and the Egyptians name them the Hebrews. When they go into the desert, they're still the Hebrews. By the time they, they reach the promised land, God has given them yet another name, and now they are called the Jews. So there's a bit of an evolution of how their names happen. Really, to say it a nice way, they became Hebrews in Egypt as slaves. That was their slave name. 
And they were slaves for 400 years. And so over time, their name and their identity became the same thing. And this book that we have in our New Testament is echoing. It's not telling the old story. It's telling the new story. It's actually written to Jews who had become Christians who were living in Jerusalem, who were living in the promised land. They were living in the place that God had given them. But now things had changed again. It wasn't the Egyptians this time. It was the Romans who were overpowering them and enslaving them a second time. If you know anything about Jewish history, Jews are defined by Exodus, which happened about 3500 B.C., we, we, we kind of know what's happening in this era. They are, a, they are a slave people. They are an exodus people. And if you read the Bible, and even though there are some of these themes in the book of Genesis, from exodus onwards, there's something about the journey of faith that is described very simply in only two ways. The narrative of exodus or exile. And if you read it, you know that the Jews are either going into exile or they're coming out of exile. They're either going into slavery or they're coming out of slavery. And that seems to be the theme of not only the whole Bible, but our lives as well. If I ask you, are you in a, in a time of exodus in your life or are you in a time of exile? Most people will pick one of those categories fairly easily and say, yeah, I feel like I'm being released from something or I feel like I'm being enslaved by something. You see, the, the Israelites or the, the Hebrews, the Jews, they became Hebrews in the desert after the exodus again. They, they were just released from slavery and now they're in the desert. But they can't seem to shake that name, and so they still act badly. And they get to the edge of the land of Canaan. They've crossed the Sinai Peninsula, you know, that nice big triangle-looking thing on the map. And they're about to go into this land that God has promised their ancestors. And they get to the edge of this land, and look what happens. I'm going to go back to the book of, of Numbers, because this sets some, some context for us. Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. And we know there's 12 tribes, and so 12 people go. 12 spies, we call them. They go into the land of Canaan. But they come back, and they're fearful. They don't really like what they've said. So if you drop down to verse 27, of the same chapter, it says, They gave this account to Moses. We went into the land which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. There is, here is some of the fruit. But the people that live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of the, of the Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, meaning the desert. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, they live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. This is a, they're giving him a map. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, because we can certainly do it. Okay, We love Caleb. He's, he's, he's honest. He's ready. Oh, but the men who had gone up with him, said, we can't attack those people. They're so much stronger than we are. And they will spread the, Israel, 
they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it, and all the people we saw there are of great size. Now to jump forward a little bit to verse 34 of chapter 14, this is the ending of this, it says, when God talks to them. It says, God tells these people, for 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to the whole wicked community, community which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in the wilderness. Here they will die. It's kind of a rough it's kind of a rough story because they become slaves again through their disobedience. They've just been released as physical slaves in Egypt, but they go into the desert, they follow God into the desert. God says it's time to take the land, and then they recant. And so God says, if you're more comfortable being slaves than being free people and trusting me in the land, then it's better if you go and you're slaves. And so he tells them, if you're under 20 years old, you're fine. If you're over 20 years old, the next 40 years you will die in the wilderness and you will not inherit the land. And the only exception to the 12 spies that survive even the next week is Joshua and Caleb because they go into the land and they say, we need to listen to God and we need to take, what, we need to take this land like he told us to. But because the people are disobedient, God says, if you're more comfortable being slaves, then go and be slaves. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament is a guide away from slavery. Although, you're going to see very quickly, the reason why it is called the book of Hebrews is because people are still living in a slave mentality. I don't know if you've noticed this, but our world does that really well also. We don't call it a slave mentality. Obviously, there's some negative connotations to that in our world. We would call it a victim mentality, but it really means exactly the same thing. Are we slaves or victims is a question we need to ask. I had this experience, um, and I'm sure all of us did in some, in some form. I don't know if you know this, but in 2020, something happened that changed our world. And we had to wear masks everywhere, right? Now, I'm not going to debate about what we think about this. But do you remember the first time you went out without it? I remember walking into a grocery store, and I didn't have it. And I didn't have to wear it anymore. Do you remember that feeling? And you felt kind of wrong about it, right? You were like, are we supposed to be doing this? Like, am I allowed to, am I actually allowed to engage in the world? Can I actually go and sit in this restaurant, and I take, and people look, I mean, we sort of had to retrain our brains again that, hey, it's normal to see people's faces. It's normal to actually talk to each other because we stopped doing these things. But I realized in that moment for me, hey, we've kind of become victims and slaves to this because we've just been told this is what you, this is what you have to do, and you get used to doing it. That's the problem. And then when you don't do it, when you step back to that which is normal, you're like, this doesn't feel right, and it takes a minute. Our world is very good at making slaves or victims. I want to tell you, they are highly skilled at doing this, and we almost don't even notice. Okay, so we're in church, and it's time for some accountability. So I'd like some hands when we talk about this. 
How many of you in the last 12 to 18 months have bought a, have bought a new vehicle? Come on, get, I know more of you have bought vehicles. Just own it. Okay. Okay. You bought new, I'm in this camp too, so I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not yelling at you, but mine was for the right reasons. I don't know what yours were. We'll, we'll talk about that here in just a minute. Uh, but the reality is I've heard people say this. Well, you know, I paid a lot more for my vehicle, right? Most of us are like, wow, you know, cars have gone up in, in prices. Although everybody usually says, what, what else? They say, but I got more for my trade. Okay, so if you got more for your trade, but you paid more for your vehicle, okay, the gap is this. If you got less for your trade and played less for your vehicle, what do you notice? It's, it's exactly the same, probably, right? But we, but we kind of buy into this hype. Um, how many of you in the last week or 10 days have kind of said, hey, with gas prices like this, we're, we need to make a vehicle change, right? We're driving this big behemoth that, you know, we need to get a cheaper vehicle. Uh, our world is really good at creating a mentality and, and making us fall kind of headlong into it. That's what the world does well. The world does not want free people. The world wants slaves. Credit card companies want slaves. And sometimes we miss it. So I wrote these down, and you can take notes and agree and disagree. Here is the recipe for making slaves or victims. You want to know? It's a five-step five step recipe. Number one, create fear of the unknown. It's all you have to do. You, every one of us knows that in our lives there are certain amounts of unknown things, right? You know that there's some things. We just can't anticipate everything. And it's not the unknown that actually scares us. But all you do is create a little bit of fear behind that unknown, and people do not like it. Well, what's going to happen? Well, uh, you know, I just don't know if anybody's going to, you know. And we start, we start sort of projecting and playing these games, and, and we create this fear. If you want to control people, the first thing you do is you create fear. Because you create a problem so that you can solve it because that looks good on you. So what you do in order to create fear is you add a dash of crisis. You know, we don't know if there's going to be enough food. You better stock up on water, you know. I loved it in Texas. They're like, there's going to be a beef shortage. I'm like, there's not going to be a beef shortage. All you do is you just take your truck and you drive it through one of these, these lots. You'll have beef aplenty, okay. There's going to be, I'm buying 18 bags of toilet paper. Unless you have a bad case of E. coli in your house, you do not need 18 bags. Of, it's, we just don't need to do this. But we started talking about there's going to be some shortage. We're not going to be able to get these things. And you go to the, and the person that's cleared out a shelf, we, it starts to add to that. And we go, what's going on? I'm missing something. I'm not, people are going to the bank and they're buying gold and they're doing all kinds of stuff because we're afraid and we don't know how to manage it. If everybody just stayed in their lane and did what they were supposed to do, everybody would be fine. But you add some crisis and it creates a bit of this frenzy. Number three, you spoon, you spoon in a handful of hypotheticals, right? Well, what if this happens or what if that happens? You know, there's an old saying that says, what, 95% of the things that we you know, anticipate are going to happen never actually happen. This is where people's anxiety starts to go up. Have you ever met a really anxious person? They're giving you, well, what if this? And what if this? And, you know, what if this happens? And, or, you know, we're going to do this. We're gonna and it's like you, you need to slow down and rather manage the reality. 
But we talk about hypotheticals, and we amp people up, and we create more and more and more anxiety. And then, number four, you sprinkle it with some conversation about the good old days. Well, it never used to be this way. I remember when gas used to be $1.25. Yes, I know gas used to be $1.25. But the world has changed. Things are different. And let me tell you about the good old days. They weren't that good. They had other issues and other problems that we don't deal with, but it's very easy for us to romanticize a period of time that's not really realistic. Well, this never would have happened back. Yes, it did. We just didn't have TVs and, and smartphones and apps that told us everything that was going on. These things were still happening. And, and, and what, what we start to do is we start to move backwards rather than forwards. I remember somebody said to me years ago, God only gave us one direction, and that's forward. Otherwise, we would spend all of our life trying to recreate something that's impossible. The goal is we move forward together. The last one is this. You just bait all of this with a little bit of blame. Just find somebody who's in the wrong. Find the person who's responsible. Or tell people, you know, it wasn't me. victim mentality people. If you go back and look at this list and you say, how many of these things do I do? Maybe that would be a, just maybe a moment of conviction for all of us. And that's why the book of Hebrews is written. If you do those things, you've created a slave or a victim mentality culture. See, the Jewish people enslaved themselves again and again. And the book of Hebrews is written as a reaction to that. They're finding, the problem now is, that, is they're no longer Jews, they're Christians, but they're finding, they can look at the Gentiles and say, well, you're to blame for why things are happening. You're to blame for what's, what's going on. The, the Jews blame the Gentiles, and then they blame the Romans, and then they blame the other nations, and then they even blame God. That's what happens in the desert. There's always somebody to blame. It's not my fault. It's got to be your fault. If you want to know if you're a victim mentality person, think about how many times a day you blame somebody external for what's going on in your life, the life that you have, the life that you've built, the life that you've made decisions for. But our world tells us it's never your fault. And sometimes people write books that say, that's kind of their view. You see, the unfortunate thing about even the Jewish Christians, which are written in the context of Hebrews, is that they chose exile. They chose to enslave themselves a second time. And this book offers them, offers them exodus. It offers them a way out. Look at Hebrews. We're going to read some text today. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. It says, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we are his house. Indeed, we hold firmly to our confidence and the, the hope in which we glory. So as the, the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, that verse, harden your hearts, is going to happen four times in the next passages of Scripture. Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Talking about the time in the desert, during the time of testing in the wilderness, when your ancestors tried and tested me, though for 40 years 
they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said to them, your hearts are always going astray. You're always hardening your hearts. So I declared, and they don't know my way, so I declared in an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our original conviction to the very end, just as it has been said. Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt and out of slavery? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they will never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? For we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. There, there, is a, there is a huge amount of text in the midst of this that says, listen, there is this, there is this image, there is this thing that happened many, many years ago. And you guys are still living under the shadow of it. You're still living as victims. And so even in this new context, he's writing to them with this underlying question that says, will you be a victim or will you be a victor? Because I don't know what it is about people, but they seem to rather choose to be victims. And we all seem to struggle with this and do this, don't we? We all seem to have a hard time when we're faced with a choice to go backwards rather than to go forward, to step into being victims rather than into being victorious and being free. We would rather be slaves than be free people. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't be like them. Just because you're facing a new difficulty in your world and, and at this time, don't step back when you should step forward. He goes on in this text here. Is this, uh, this is chapter 4. He talks about this idea of don't harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts. And then in verse 12 of chapter 4, through the end of the chapter, they write this book. For the word of God is active and alive. The people, your text might say living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes, the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet remained without sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The, the text here is just abundantly clear. That, that, what, that what the writer is trying to let people see is you cannot be both 
slaves and disciples. You can't follow God as well as, as hold on to the past. You've got to make a decision between the two. You've got to decide, am I going to be on this side or am I going to be on that side? And this is one of the, the great challenges we have in faith. There's going to be moments where, where, where the world and the enemy is going to try to make us slaves. That's why we have these books <laughs> to remind us, don't go there. Don't live in that world. Do you find that people are more encouraging these days or more complaining? Do, do you see that in your own life? Do we spend more time loving our kids or yelling at our kids? This is a struggle we all have. Do you feel yourself getting short with people all the time? Because maybe our world has falsely kind of told us, this is what you do, this is what you, what you should do. And we justify all our behaviors, all of our thoughts, all of our decisions. Sometimes we don't really notice it, but we, we enslave ourselves. This is why, isn't it amazing when Joshua goes in and takes the land, at the end of the book of Joshua in chapter 24, he asks this question, choose who you will serve. He's not saying pick God or pick another God. He's saying either be free or be slave. Because you can't have both. can't have both. The Israelites have a story where they're just constantly, God is releasing them from, from slavery, from being victims, and they're in an exodus. And then they obey God for about this long, and then they're, they're heading towards something bad. And then they look at God and go, why is this happening? But you notice that that's that's us too. I mean, we do well for like this long. And the writer of Hebrews is kind of sharing this idea that says, listen, you don't need to be slaves. You've either got to choose exodus or you're going to be bound for exile. If you're not choosing to walk in freedom and in hope and with good things, the only other option, the only other choice is to be slaves. As the world tries to dress it up and cover it and say, oh no, it's actually really a good thing, and it's not. We, we have to learn. We're very bad at being free people. This is why whenever we get to the end of, of sermons or stories, we talk about making choices. And one of the things we'll often say is, you know, when you choose Jesus, you'll find salvation. You'll find freedom is what we're saying. We're not saying that everything in your life is going to be awesome and amazing and wonderful and you're never going to have any problems, which I think sometimes in churches we've done. We said, hey, if you commit your life to Christ, everything's going to be amazing. It's not actually true because you're still going to face hardships. You're still going to go through difficulties, but it's about making a decision to be free. Do you, do you, know, what, do you know what getting saved is? Do you know why we use that language? It's Exodus language. I'm not going to be a slave in Egypt anymore. I'm going to, yes, I'm going to go to the desert, and it's not always going to be fun, but I'm going to find freedom in the midst of that. And when the time comes 
that I can take the land or whatever opportunity God has for me, I'm going to do my best to have faith, even though I'm going to be afraid to step into that. That's the whole Bible story. It's really not that complicated. But how often do we choose rather to complain? Because we've been there so long. What are you enslaved by in your life? <laughs> I mean, it's not language we use. It's not something we talk about real often. I mean, what, where do you notice the victim mentality coming out? Is it, is it, in, your, is it in your marriage? Well, I just do everything. Is it in your job? Well, you know, people keep getting promoted around me, and, and I don't quite know why. Is it with your friends? Well, I'm always helping them. Everybody's in crisis all the time. And what we don't realize is we're trying to point out people who are victims, but what we're actually sharing is that we are. And I'm not saying that there's not those moments. Listen, if you're in an enslaved environment, you need to get out. Nobody would ever say, you just need to be a slave. That's just your, your lot in life. But there's a mentality that goes along with it. You ever meet people that are always in crisis, and you give them solutions, and they'll just find another crisis? Because crisis has defined their lives for so long that now they're slaves to it. In fact, they're only happy if they have a crisis. You ever meet those people that they're happiest when they're mad at someone some of you people are huh? Isn't that sad? If your happiness is determined <laughs> by how many people you're mad at, that's a sad thing. We're going to talk a little bit more. I'm going to try to do a better job of talking about what it means for us to be committed to Christ. And for some people, maybe in the coming weeks and months, to make a decision. I mean, I, I don't want to trivialize and say, we want you to make a decision for Christ, because I think that's over-trivial. But I think what we're saying is, we've got to sometimes identify the things that we're slaves to, so that when God calls us, we've decided, I don't want to be there anymore. I want to walk in freedom. And it doesn't mean everything's going to be awesome and great and wonderful. It's probably going to be challenging and hard, but in a different way. The entire book of Hebrews is about, don't go back to where you were. Realize who Jesus is. Follow him. And he will lead you. And I think that's a message that we should encourage you. If you have not made a faith commitment, I know I never say this, but if you have not made a faith commitment, and you say, you know what, I need to, I need to stop this. I need to decide that my life needs to stop where it is. I need to stop being, being, being shackled by all these things. And I need to step in freedom. I need to try to actually stop worrying about all these things. Maybe I need to turn around. I need to face Jesus. I need to look at him and say, hey, I need to do something different because this is not working for me. Making a choice so that we can step into freedom together. I don't do it perfectly. Nobody else here does. But we'll do it together. And we'll remind each other, hey, don't be a Hebrew. Don't go back when God's calling you to go home. Follow Jesus. He'll take you where you need to go. Father, today, thank you for giving us a moment together. Thank you for an opportunity of grace. Thank you that we get to uh, lock arms and walk with other believers. 
God, I know that today I, I didn't quite communicate exactly what I wanted, exactly the way that I wanted, but, but thank you that you are bigger than words or moments, uh, that you will just allow your message to ring true because it's bigger than any single person. Father, I hope today that uh, we will feel convicted by the things that we enslave ourselves to. And Father, that we would also uh, be willing to take your hand. God, if there's, maybe there's a stirring in, in some of our lives. Maybe, maybe we're just stuck. And today we just have to admit to ourselves we're lost and we're stuck and we're struggling. Father, maybe in the midst of that, in the midst of that fog, you would just clear away, clear away, clear a path. Allow us to begin to see you. Please bless us as we continue to worship today. Please help us to leave behind those things that are not of you. Thank you for walking with us. We pray. just want to sit here 